Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather, to, to sing praises to your name, Lord, now to open the truth of your word. And you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we want to learn from you. We want to draw closer to you, love you more, Father, serve you more. And so speak very clearly to us through this truth this morning. May we apply it to our lives and be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, let me just again invite you. You saw the, the message from John already as you're finding Hebrews chapter 3 in your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's a, a, a book, black hardbound book in the front of where you're sitting. Take it out. We're on page 1002. That's Hebrews chapter 3. If you're with us and you're new this morning, haven't been uh, in a while or just visiting our church, I'd love to invite you to lunch at my house today. Won't cost you anything. There are at our Connect Desk little maps uh, after the 11 o'clock service. Or if you go to Sunday school, come back and get a map. Drive to our house. We'll feed you lunch. Our whole team will be there. We'd love to get to know you more, introduce you to our team, uh, give you a chance to ask anything you want to know about our church. So I'd love to have you at my house today for lunch. Grab your map and, and come on. Uh, we are continuing our series this morning. We've entitled Greater. Uh, this has been a, a very fun series for me. I've enjoyed teaching it. It's very challenging for me. There's so much depth in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I've read through the book of Hebrews and studied it before, but I was kind of unaware of the depth. There's just so much. And so every week it's a, really a struggle to kind of figure out what we're going to talk about and, and how uh, deep we want to go. But the prayer in this whole process, the prayer in this sermon series and the studies that you'll love Jesus more now than you did before and you'll continue in your growth You'll continue to understand the greatness and the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Christ. Uh, and it'll lead you to this place, a hope of deepening your walk, deepening your faith, a desire to serve him more, to love him more. And we've been talking already in the first couple of chapters just about the greatness of Jesus. We've seen that he's greater than the Old Testament prophets, greater than the angels, greater than the kings. Last week we talked about how he's greater than our, than our struggles, greater than our pain and our suffering, greater even than death, greater than our sin. And so I, I hope you've had a chance to kind of process through and, and think through and, and maybe really reflect on the greatness of Jesus. And so we're going to jump right in this morning to Hebrews chapter 3. There's a lot we're going to cover uh, related to the faithfulness of Christ, to our persevering, trusting him throughout all the difficulties. So let's jump right in. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning on verse 1. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, and as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God." Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. 
But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now let me give you the truth first, kind of the first main truth I want you to see. And then we're going to walk through it together. Truth number one. Jesus is our example of faithfulness. Jesus is our example of faithfulness. Now let me just kind of give you the, the, the foundational understanding of this text here. Jesus was faithful from the beginning of his life until the end. He was faithful as he walked uh, the roads. He was faithful as he ministered. He was faithful as he did miraculous things. He was faithful as he willingly gave himself to death on the cross. He was faithful in his resurrection. He was faithful in his ascension. So from the beginning of his life to the end, we see this picture of the faithfulness of Jesus. And because of the faithfulness of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 1, calls us to consider or remember Jesus. Look at it again. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. The NIV says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, you, you can't really summarize the Christian faith in a word or two or a sentence. But if you were going to, if I said to you, listen, just do one thing the rest of your life, it would probably be something like this. Fix your eyes, fix your thoughts, fix your hopes on Jesus. Because a lot of the mistakes we make as believers happen when we fix our eyes on something other than Jesus, right? Because there's, there's a lot of shiny things in the world we like to fix our eyes on. There, there's a lot of shiny things we like to think about and consider. We're reminded in this text, because of Jesus, because of what he did, because of what he gave, let's consider Jesus, let's fix our eyes, let's fix our thoughts on him. So I want you to see this in verse 2, right? Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in God's house. Verse 5, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, right? He's the son. He's faithful. He's given his life. We need to fix our eyes on him. Now, this is important, right? We're about to make this connection. We're thinking about the faithfulness of Christ. We're thinking about what he's given. We're thinking about how he lived his life, how we need to fix our eyes on him. Now look at verse 6. This is really important, right? We're going to delve into this just a little bit. Verse 6 says, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we, right? So it's going to change. We've been talking about Jesus. We've been talking about his faithfulness. We've been talking about what he's given. He's faithful over God's house as a son. Now we're talking about us, and we are his house, right? We are his house. We are believers. We are part of the house of God. What's the very next word after the comma there? Let's say it again. What's the very next word after the comma there? So we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going to say this again in verse 14, and I want you to see these two together because this is important for us to understand. Put the, put the two verses up there together, right? So Hebrews 3, 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We are his house if indeed we hold fast. Verse 14 of the same chapter, for we have come to share in Christ, there it is again, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, this is tricky for us. Okay? 
This is tricky for us. I spent a lot of time this week thinking through this and, and praying through this and making sure we convey this properly to you so you understand it. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is helping us understand. We are in Christ if we remain faithful until the end. Right? We're in Christ if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We're, we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm till the end. There's this idea that the walk with Christ, our life as Christians, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And the idea is you can't run fast the first two miles and then just quit. Okay, now, now this is something, this is where the tricky part comes, right? Because this is something you have to decide in your heart. I'm not going to tell you what you've decided. I can't. But for the person that says, listen, I, I prayed to receive Christ when I was six I've never really done anything with it. I don't really have a desire now to learn or desire to go. I come to church because uh, my spouse asked me to or I kind of feel obligated. There's no real desire to grow or walk. I would say just be careful here because this teaching is clear. We're in Christ. We're believers if we have persevered until the end. Now, that's a hard teaching for us because we want to be sure we're clear here. We're not saying people lose their salvation we're not saying you can truly be saved and then you can lose your salvation. But we are saying there's a danger to think maybe you've been saved when you haven't been. And one of the ways you understand that, one of the ways you kind of come to terms with that is if you are faithful, if you persevere. Now, Jesus talks about this in other places. Right? This is not the only place that we find this in the Scriptures. not as if there's this one little section in Hebrews that has this if statement. Right, You are a believer if. In fact, we see it in, in a lot of different other parts of the New Testament. Maybe the one that you're most familiar with is the story of the sower and the seeds. It's found in the Gospels. Mark chapter 4 says this. Let me just read it to you, beginning in verse 3. Listen, this is Jesus speaking. Behold, a sower went out to sow. Right, He's throwing out seeds. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell along rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing and increasing, yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold, right? We, we demonstrate our faith. We demonstrate the, the, the importance and the significance and really the truth of our faith by bearing fruit in our lives. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold, right? We should demonstrate. There, there should be evidence in our life that we are followers of Christ, that we are persevering, that we are growing in our walk, that we are producing the fruit of our lives that the Scripture tells us we should produce. One writer explained it like this. He said, Hebrews virtually defines true believers as those who hold firmly to the end the confidence they had at first. Now, we see this in other places. Just a couple of examples. I want you to listen. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, speaking of Jesus. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you... Holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. If 
we endure, we will also reign with him. Right? There's the warning against drifting away. There's the warning about perseverance. There's the warning about struggling through and trusting Christ. Right? We're looking to Jesus. We're considering Jesus. He is faithful. He's the son. He was faithful in life and in death and resurrection and ascension. We look to him. Why? Because it's important for us as believers to persevere until the end. I had the opportunity, I've talked a couple of different times about hiking a couple of summers ago and out in Colorado, and we, we kind of finished the week, a long hike, with the idea that we were going to summit Long's Peak. Long's Peak is the highest point in Rocky Mountain National Park, 14,200 and something feet. And after walking for four or five days, carrying a backpack, going about 40 or 50 miles, that's pretty hard. And the elevation change is very real. And if you've never hiked at 12,000 feet, it's hard to get air and so we made it to the, to the base. We camped out the night before, hiked up maybe halfway through and just had to stop. We just couldn't physically make it up the mountain. There were, there were a lot of people that kind of made that journey and a lot of people completed it and a lot of people didn't. But the people that were able to persevere made it to the top of that mountain and got to look out and see that glorious view. Everything they could see was below them. That's a pretty interesting thing. Everything you look at is below you, lower than you. They got to you know, take the selfie and put it on Instagram and Facebook, come home and tell their friends. But only the people that persevered got to do that, right? So there's this idea, there's kind of a connection. And, and every analogy breaks down. I get that. That's not a perfect analogy of our walk with Christ. But what we begin to understand in Hebrews is it's important for us to persevere. It's important for us to, to fight through the difficulties trusting in Christ. It's important for us to weather the storms. You know, I, I know enough of you and I know enough of your stories to understand that many of you either have or are currently walking through a storm of life. And, and storms of life have kind of uh, usually two different possibilities. They either drive you towards Christ more or they drive you away, right? Now, we, we all know the people that have struggled uh, with the storms of life that have driven them closer to the Lord. And, and praise the Lord, it's always just so encouraging for me uh, and, and so really rewarding uh, as I have this uh, really a great privilege to get to walk through sometimes pain and suffering with people and just be able to comfort them and love them and surround them and, and, and hopefully just kind of give them a little bit of a peace of the Lord. But it's always amazing and, and very uh, challenging and comforting to me to see so many people in our church as they walk through struggles run to Christ. That's a beautiful thing. And man, if you've never experienced that or seen that, it's a glorious thing to encounter. But we all know the stories of the people that have struggled and gone through pain and agony and suffering and have run away from Christ, right? We understand that. So there's this calling in Scripture, man, as we go through difficulties, as we go through those storms, run to Christ, persevere to Christ, battle against the things in the world that try to keep you away from Him. Hold steady. Paul talks about fighting the good fight, right? So, so just to kind of bring this back home, right, Jesus is our example. He has been faithful. Jesus from birth death, ascension, all the way through was faithful. We fix our eyes on him. We follow him. If we are found faithful, we are rewarded. Now, here's the problem for so many people. We think, I, I get it. I know that. Uh, I believe that, but it's very difficult for me, Adam, because I'm going through this pain. I'm, I'm going through this struggle. I'm going through this heartache. Let me just remind you where our confidence is found. Like, if you think you can make it through the heartaches and you think you can persevere on your own, you're mistaken. You can't. 
In fact, what you're going to see is the only way you can make it through these difficulties is by trusting in Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this. What a comforting verse. I am sure of this, that he, this is the Lord, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Right, there's, there's this beautiful reminder that Jesus was faithful. He is our example. And through his strength, we persevere. We hold fast until the end. Now let's continue. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, we're thinking about holding firm. We're thinking about keeping our eyes and our thoughts on Jesus. We're thinking about his faithfulness. We're figuring out how we can remain firm and faithful and persevere until the end. Here's the second truth I want you to see found in these verses 7 through 11. Truth number two, don't harden your hearts against the Lord. If you want to think about persevering and holding fast, guard your hearts against hardening. Right? Don't harden your hearts against the Lord. The Lord. Now, this is kind of the second warning passage we found in Hebrews. Right? I told you a couple of weeks ago that Hebrews contains kind of five sections of warnings. We've already been through the first one. This is kind of the second section. It really continues through chapter three and even a little bit into four. There are these warnings we need to be aware of, we need to be careful of. Kind of the red lights are flashing. And verse eight of Hebrews three really summarizes this for us as we try to hold fast, as we try to persevere, as we try to see the things of the Lord and keep him in focus. Hebrews three eight guard our heart by reminding us do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, I want to think about those three verses just for a few minutes because they kind of uh, seem to come out of nowhere. Rebellion and, and wilderness and, and 40 years. And what are we talking about here in Hebrews? Well, remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians. And because he's writing to Jewish Christians, these people would have understood the Old Testament. They would have understood the writings of Moses especially. They would have understood the story of the Exodus and how the people of Israel wandered for 40 years in the desert. And so when the writer of Hebrews kind of quotes this, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 95. In fact, if you were to go back and compare Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 to Psalm 95, 7 through 11, they're identical, almost identical. And Psalm 95 is reminding the people of Israel of the wandering in the wilderness. Now, let's, let's kind of make the connection because I want to see where, you're, where we're going here. I want you to understand what's happening. We're thinking about being faithful in Christ trusting him until the end, seeing him as our example by now being reminded of the people of Israel. Now, if you don't know their story, let me give you just kind of a, a couple of minute synopsis here. Right, the children of Israel are captive in Egypt. They were there as slaves for 400 years. The Lord goes to Moses and said, listen, you need to let my people, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, no, there's a series of 10 plagues. You probably remember those in the book of Exodus. Tenth plague is the death angel. The Passover comes from that. We've talked about that before. Pharaoh allows the people of Israel to go into the wilderness. And now for 40 years, the Bible says, the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness following the things of the Lord. Now here's the problem. Think about all the people of Israel had seen at that point. God had rescued them from slavery. 
God had led them through the wilderness with fire and with smoke. God had parted the Red Sea. God had destroyed the Egyptian army. Think about this. Every morning they woke up, God had provided manna that had descended from heaven, was on the ground for them to eat. God provided water for them to drink. God provided protection for these people. All that the Lord had given the children of Israel, right? All of the benefits, all of his glory, all of his power, all of his majesty. And yet in the midst of all that they had experienced, in the midst of all that they had been given, the Bible teaches us that they still rebelled against the Lord. They hardened their hearts. So, for example, Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephthim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? The people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Right, on and on it goes. You could read all through Exodus and Numbers and even into Deuteronomy. We see that the people of Israel, even though they had seen, now here's the connection, even though they had seen the goodness of the Lord, were not faithful to him till the end. Do you understand that? They'd seen the goodness of the Lord. They had experienced his power. And yet in the midst of really living out his story, living out his glory in their life, they still rebelled and were not faithful until the end. Now the writer of Hebrews wants them to remember this because those of you that remember Jewish history will remember that the people that came out of Egypt, because of their sin, because of their failure, God did not allow those original people to enter the promised land. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 34, The Lord heard the words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give your fathers. Now take a step back into Hebrews here. Okay, The, the writer of Hebrews is drawing a parallel between the people of Israel and the people of the first century. And the writer of Hebrews wanted the first century Christian to avoid Israel's history of unbelief. Right? Look at the people of Israel, he's saying. Look at what they did. Look at all they experienced and understand that because they were not faithful to the end, because they didn't fully trust the Lord, because they rebelled, because they did not persevere, they didn't taste the goodness of the Lord. They weren't allowed to enter the rest, as the scripture says. They weren't allowed to walk into the promised land. And so we take that Old Testament passage, we take that Old Testament story and we apply it to our lives. Be warned, the Bible says. Be careful that we should not harden our hearts. Don't step away from the things of the Lord. Persevere in your walk. Open your eyes to his truth. Recognize his goodness. Now I want to think about this just for a second to make sure there's no confusion because we talk about the hardening of the heart and, and maybe there's some confusion there. Like, we understand what it means to have a, a problem with our heart physically. We understand that. In fact, many of you have experienced or have family members that, that have some sort of an issue with their heart physically. We understand what happens when your heart doesn't work properly physically, right? But to think about the spiritual heart is a little bit different. 
we talk about the spiritual hardening of the heart against the Lord, it means we're not really interested in his will. We're not really interested in his word. We don't care much about what he says. One writer kind of explained it like this. I, I think he gives us a very clear definition. He says, a hard heart is an obstinate and calloused heart that fails to respond to God or obey him. A hard heart is blind to the precious value of the gospel and refuses to embrace Christ. A hard heart is synonymous with spiritual ignorance and alienation from God. When we harden our hearts against the things of the Lord, we're no longer interested in what he's interested in. We no longer care about his word. We, we no longer care about his will. And we can think of it kind of like a callus, right? When, when you develop a callus, you no longer feel pain, right? Anybody that's ever played a guitar or walked out in the woods with their shoes off, right? I don't, I don't like to take my shoes off. I leave my shoes on most of the time. I'm not the guy that walks barefoot in the backyard. I just don't like that. But my kids love it. My kids love it. In the summertime, they'll have their shoes off, and they'll just run through the backyard and run through the woods and run over pine cones with their shoes off, and, and they seem to be fine with it. If I were out there, it'd be painful for me, right? What's happened on their feet is they've done that so long, they've built up calluses, and we understand how that works. Think about that spiritually, right? When you don't have calluses on your heart, when you sin or do something to separate yourself from the Lord, it hurts. You feel that pain. You feel that regret, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. That still, small voice reminds you that you need to fix what you've done. You need to repent of your sins. You need to trust Christ. But the more you do those things, the less they hurt each time. And after a while, your heart becomes calloused to the sin of the world, to the mistakes, to the things of the Lord. You no longer care. You don't feel that pain anymore. And so just for you, if you're kind of taking this personal inventory and you're trying to understand a little bit more about your walk and trying to understand what a hard heart looks like or maybe feels like, one of the red flags in your life might be that you no longer care about the sin in your life. It doesn't bother you. You keep doing it. You don't think anybody notices. It's not a big deal. We've become calloused to the things of the Lord. And so we need to be aware of this. We need to be mindful of this. Because if we ever, in our walk with Christ, come to the point where our hearts have been hardened against the Lord, we're not going to persevere till the end. Do you understand that? You're not going to make it through the trials. You're not going to be interested anymore in the things of the Lord. Right? So again, let's, let's make sure we're clear. We've got this big picture. Look to Christ because he's faithful. Persevere until the end. Remember the people of Israel. Remember they weren't faithful. They didn't persevere. God didn't allow them to enter into his rest. He didn't allow them to enter into his promised land. And so as believers, as we walk, let's be careful not to harden our hearts and walk away from the things of the Lord. Now let's continue. Look at verse 12. Let's kind of wind this thing down. So take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Right. So there's the warning again. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it's said today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now here's the third truth, kind of the, the final idea and really the summation of this entire 
text, truth number three, very simply, we need to trust Christ. We need to trust Christ. I want you to notice what happens kind of in this last section here, verses 12 through 19. It's bookend by this idea of unbelief and unbelieving heart. All right, so verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Right? Unbelief leads to hardening of the heart. Failing to trust in Christ leads to the hardening of the heart. And so I'm going to give you right out of this text five things. I want to talk about how to guard against hardening of the heart because it warns us several times about unbelief. It warns us several times about guarding our hearts against being hardened. There's several different places in this chapter alone that warns us and encourages us to trust Christ. So I'm going to give you five, right out of this text, five ways we can guard against hardening our hearts. And I'm going to show you right in Scripture where I got them from. Okay, we got them on the screen. The first one, don't rebel against God when things are difficult. Don't rebel against God when things are difficult. Hebrews 3.8 says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. The thing we see about the children of Israel is oftentimes when things got bad, they ran away from the Lord. I remember the story of Moses. He goes up on the mountain to get the commandments, and when he comes back down, they've melted down all their jewelry, and they formed the false idol, the golden calf there, and they're worshiping it, right? They ran away from the things of the Lord during a struggle in their life. We've got to be very careful not to rebel against God when things are difficult. So if you're going through a struggle right now, uh, if you're working through some sort of a tragedy or, or hardship or whatever that looks like for you, this is a warning sign for you in this moment. Don't rebel against the things of the Lord when you go through difficulty. Here's the second thing. We need to recognize the blessings and the greatness of God in our lives. If you want to guard against hardening your heart, open your eyes to the greatness of the Lord. Right, Hebrews 3, 8, 9, thinking about the people of Israel, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test. Watch this. And saw my works for 40 years. Like the people of Israel saw the work of the Lord. They saw the strength of the Lord. They saw the power of the Lord. They saw the glory of the Lord. And yet still they rebelled. Right, right. Sometimes we, we need to be reminded that we need to open our eyes and recognize the blessings and the greatness of the Lord in our life every day. We need to acknowledge his presence and his work. We need to praise him for the way in which he blesses us. You know, just, just imagine if you could walk through life with eyes open to the goodness of the Lord at all times. Seeing what he's done for you, seeing what he's given to you, seeing how, how he's led you and how he's provided for you in so many different ways. Recognize the blessings and the greatness of God in your life. Again, if you want to guard against a hardened heart, here's the third thing. Ask the Lord to reveal the ways in which you run from him. Here's what the Bible says about people in the Exodus. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And here's the problem about going astray and running from the things of the Lord. It's like drift. We talked about this the last few weeks. As we drift away, usually we do it slowly over time. It doesn't happen all at once. And so we need to guard our hearts and ask the Lord, Lord, reveal to me the areas in which I'm running from you. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 say this. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Right? You really want to grow in your faith and, and deepen your walk, then begin to pray to the Lord. Lord. Lord, reveal to me the ways in which I'm rebellious. Reveal to me the ways in which I'm running from you. Search my heart, Lord. Search my heart and help me understand what I need to do to trust you more. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Lord, reveal the ways in which I'm running and rebelling against you. Here's the fourth thing. Exhort one another. That's what Scripture says right there in verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. To exhort means to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. You know, sometimes this is a struggle for us, isn't it? Because we like to be private in our faith. We like to do what we want to do. We want to kind of make our own decisions about life. And when somebody kind of steps into our world and comments on things that we think are important or things that we do, we don't necessarily like that. And so one of the things we have to open our eyes to in Scripture is that we should be willing, first of all, to help brothers that are in need or sisters that are in need that are struggling, but also we need to be willing to receive help if we're struggling with something. Like if you think you can be a believer by just accepting Christ and then kind of live in your own world and never be around other believers and never actually let anybody else speak truth into your life, you're not really going to grow in your faith, right? Because in Scripture, kind of, kind of woven into the fabric of Scripture is this idea of community. We're around one another. It's not an individual walk. And we should exhort one another. We should speak truth in each other's lives, right? I, I, I believe, and I think Scripture backs us up, that one of the best places this happens is within our marriages. Men, women. But our spouse sometimes can be our biggest and sometimes our fairest critic, right? I see y'all looking at each other right now to kind of sly glance. I get it. Because if you're like me, guys, uh, Amy's really good about this, and she's great in things I'm not great at. And, and I really, I feel like in, in my marriage, she's kind of she's knocked the rough edges off, right? She's kind of knocked the rough edges off, and sometimes she'll come to me and she'll say something in love, and maybe she'll tell me I need to be a little more pastoral. That's the way she says it, usually be a little more pastoral. And my response usually is I kind of huff up and get a little frustrated and a little mad. A little pride's hurt. And I walk off and maybe a few hours or a few days later I realize, you know, she was probably right. I do need to change that. And sometimes I'll go back and apologize to her. I'm sorry. I really do need a better job of that. Right? We need to be willing to and able to teach and train and help one another, but also receive that. Right? So what this looks like is we speak to each other the truth in love. And so if you know a brother or sister that you're close with that's struggling or maybe sinning or living a lifestyle they shouldn't live, you go to that person not in anger, not in judgment, not that you're so thankful you're not going through that, and they are, but instead that I love you and I realize this is a struggle for you. How can I help you? How can I pray with you through this? We need to be willing to give that and we need to be willing to receive it. Because I'm telling you, I'm just telling you right now, if you're the person that goes through life unwilling to hear what other people have to say to you because you're angry and bitter about it, your heart is hardening. If somebody can't speak truth into your life, even if it's harsh and even if it hurts, then you're going to harden your heart. And so we're warned, exhort 
one another. Encourage one another. Train one another. Teach one another. And then finally, the final truth here, back to the main idea. If we want to guard against hardening our hearts, very simply, we need to trust Christ. Right? The, the problem in this text is their unbelief. The problem for the people of Israel was their unbelief. The problem with the Jewish Christians was their lack of belief. And we're told in verse 14, For we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We need to be reminded on a regular basis, very simply, we need to trust Christ. We need to trust Christ. And so we've been talking about this idea of the greatness of the Lord and, and how he is greater. And, and I challenge you every week with this idea of the one person. Are you living as if Christ is greater? Are you telling other people that he's greater? Pull that main truth, that main slide back up. Just the, the, the big, there you go. Are you living as if Christ is greater? Are you living as if he is uh, the most important thing in your life? Are you sharing that with other people? So I've just challenged you with this idea of the greatness of Christ. Who's the one person you need to share this with? And so we're going to take this a step farther. I told you over the course of this series we were going to ramp this up a little bit. So we're going to take it a step farther this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something very special and significant and important during the time of invitation. Now, if the Lord's working in your heart about something specific, I want you to deal with that, pray with that, and I'm happy to talk with you about that. But I also want you to pray one of two things. That's what I'm asking you to do during our time of invitation. The first one is pray that the Lord would reveal to you who that one person is. You say, I've thought about it, I've heard you preaching about it, I hadn't quite decided yet, I don't know who that one person is. Then you need to pray during our time of invitation, who's the one person? A lady came to me after the 8.30 service, she said, the Lord just gave it to me, I know exactly who it is. I know exactly who it is. If you've already kind of decided, if the Lord's kind of already revealed to you who that one person is that you need to share this with, then I want you to pray specifically that the Lord would give you an opportunity to share with that person. So you're either praying that the Lord would reveal this person to you, or you're praying for an opportunity to share all of these truths with that person. I'm not asking you to canvas the block. I'm not asking you to go door to door. I'm not asking you to stand up to mark work in the break room. I'm asking you for one person. Everybody can do one person. And here's the truth you need to get across to them. There's a lot of great things in this world, right? There's a lot of shiny things. There's a lot of things we can give our attention to. There's a lot of things that are really good. There's a lot of things that are really great. But nothing is greater than Jesus. That's the truth we've got to share. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the truth, Lord, of Hebrews and the challenge of faithfulness, Lord. Keep our eyes on Jesus as he was faithful, living our lives in faithfulness to you, Father, trusting you, finding strength in Christ, remembering the, the Old Testament accounts of the people of Israel that were not faithful. Father, the warnings and the, and the red flags and kind of the be cautious leading us to this place, Lord, of, of guarding against hardening of the heart. And so I pray, Father, you would just reveal to us in our lives areas maybe that are hardened, things we need to change. Father, just reveal to us the truths that we need to learn and understand that really affect who we are. And Father, during this time of invitation, I pray you would reveal to us either who that person is we ought to be sharing with or reveal to us ways in which we can share. Father, we, we believe that you are greater. Give us the strength to tell others about it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. This is an opportunity for you to respond. You're welcome to come down here and pray.